I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And then remember, when you are going through things and they feel like they're bigger than you, then that's when you actually have to pray, you know, actually sit down on your meditation cushion, go through your meditation practice and pray. Say, dear Cosmic Mother, dear Black Madonna, dear Krishna, dear Jesus, dear Buddha, dear whoever it is in your wisdom council, dear wisdom council, show me the way, show me how it gets better. Show me how it gets better. I feel like this pain is too big. I can't handle it. So show me how I can, you know. Uh, And then you're going to open up to a mindset of miracles where miracles are not necessarily that you're going to walk through walls or manifest money in your account. That's more like uh, illusory, more like in a magic sense. Miracles are more about this radical perspective change where the pain no longer seems big because your perspective has gotten so wide. That's a miracle. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self-success with the people we follow and the teachers who help us on our way. I hope you find this episode valuable and if you need support aligning your profession to your true nature, your unique gifts and your passions, I'm here to help. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about Offline's personal and professional development opportunities or follow getoffline.co on social media. You can find me at Alison Larson Rice. Thank you for being here. My next guest is someone my sister actually suggested I follow a while back and I've been kind of obsessed with his signature style of spirituality ever since. Sa de Simone is a Brazilian-born meditation teacher based in Venice Beach, California. He's a best-selling author, transformational speaker, and coach. Sa developed his personal equation for liberation through desperation. He said that even in some of the most enlightened rooms in the world, he still experienced the same kinds of psychological and verbal oppression that he was experiencing in the non-spiritual rooms in his life. So he created the spiritually sassy method, which in its simplest form helps people be themselves. We talk about his new book in this episode, Spiritually Sassy, Eight Radical Steps to Activate Your Innate Superpowers, which presents a really practical framework to making contact with your gifts and exploring your purpose. Sa asks us to live poetic lives and to be artful about our pain. It's beautiful, but it's also more than that. It's fun and it's joyful and it's light. He's worked with the likes of Kanye West, Cardi B, Google, But as you'll soon hear, those names were actually never on his career vision board. For Saar, true self-success starts and ends in service. There's so much for us to learn in this episode. He talks about starting and growing a spiritual business, learning to dance with fear and the uncertainty that comes with entrepreneurship, 
how to create from a place of abundance versus scarcity, and my favorite thing, altruism as the ultimate strategy. I hope you adore this one. Here's the radical Sar and I for Offline. Hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) You just, I was just telling you that you're my first recording back after a three month break and a baby. And what did you say to me that I'm home? You're home. You're fine. Mm. We're good. You know, we're just catching up here. The best conversations come when we're just catching up. You know, it's just like (laughs) really like, although we've never met before, it's just like a, you know, Two humans trying to do the human thing, you know, let's just, let's just be humans together. Let's do the dance. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know what you mean. Thank you. Um, So this podcast has historically been about true self and who are we on the other side of the filter. And I've spent the last few months thinking really deeply about where the audience is at and where we're at as a community and what we need going forward. And my experiences in sort of leadership and content creation and publishing and all this stuff. And where I've arrived is this idea of conscious success. So how do we Mm -hmm. take the work that we've been doing on ourselves and apply that to our professional self and our career and our creativity and our leadership? Mm -hmm. So that's the conversation I want to have with you today, which I actually think is different to the brief that I gave your assistant. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it also is just the kind of thing where it depends on how I'm doing in the moment. What's present in the moment is what you're going to get. And so oftentimes I surprise myself with the stuff that I'm saying. So I'm like, damn, girl, that was cute. We should write that down, honey. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, but, let's start with um, who were you mm-hmm. um, and what were you doing for a living before the Sawi sort of know and love and learn from today? Okay. Great question. Thank you. Um, And at some point, I hope that this question is not like the prevalent question. Mm. You know, I was just thinking, reflecting on this the other day. I I was working in fashion and had my spiritual awakening almost 10 years ago. It was almost 10 years ago. You know, it's just like reflecting on that. It's like, wow, that was 10 years ago. A few years ago, it was like, oh, it was five years ago. Some years before, I was like, oh, it was a few years ago. And now it's 10, almost 10 years ago. So I was working in fashion, the creative director of an international fashion magazine that I was the co-founder of. And I started with two friends uh, when I was 23. And the magazine just, you know, blew up. It was just like a really big success, really, really fast. And we we're all really young without a lot of business experience. So we were not conscious business owners at all and business uh, conscious leaders at all. We were just, it was like really messy and sloppy, um, but we were creating something beautiful. And, and, and the value that we brought to the world was, it was, it was a, a beautification. Um, it was art and, and was, it was a movement, a psychological and spiritual movement for people because of the depth of the beauty that we were creating. Um, and, and the editorial content was also extremely edgy and very, very uh, pushing of the of, of the boundaries, and it was it was just amazing. Um, but then in the fall of 2012, I was bought out of the company, 
by my two friends that I had uh, co-founded a magazine with. So that was a, a huge um, pain, an enormous betrayal that that, that came up for me. And, and then when I left the magazine, I was like, oh my God, I've given a job to so many people. I've helped so many people start their careers in fashion. Um, I know so many big, big people in, in all these kinds of industries. It will be, it will not be hard for me to to find another job in the the, the fashion publishing industry. But honey, somehow that was not the karma. I couldn't find a single job. Nobody would hire me. Although I had worked with every single major celebrity for, for our time around. And I was in all the, you know, quote unquote right circles in, in the in the in the industry. But something was just not aligned. So I couldn't get a job. And I not only could not get a job, but all the friends that were supportive of me. Uh, in quotation, in air quotations, in the in the fashion industry, were now not supportive of 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 me at all because I didn't have the title anymore, so I no longer had anything to offer them. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that up until that point, my friendships were very transactional. I had this very capitalistic approach to my life, to my well being, to my success. It was very much about accumulation, and the more I had to show for it, the the better of a, of a person I was. So flawed, right? So I ended up leaving New York City, going to Florida for a year. And it was in that year in Florida that I started to research about well-being and happiness and how do you cure depression? How do you overcome addiction? How do you uh, deal with anxiety? All the things that I had been working through, but I had actually never had the time to sit down and look into. I was just kind of like, um, I was a very... Um, um, I could, I could, I could do a lot still, you know. Although I was experiencing depression and 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 anxiety and addiction, I could still perform at a high, at a very high level. So the 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 people around me could never really guess that I was like really in a in a really challenging uh, psychological state. Um, you know, I think when you're the, the the children of immigrants, you kind of just um, work through. You know, um, and it's not that you're working through through in in the healing sense, but you work. You just you just put on the face and you just kind of mask it and you just kind of keep going because money is happiness. So you gotta go in that way, and that's all you know. You know, the more money I have, the happier I am. And you know, this is all a lie, all flawed, and we all know. Uh, and I've been fortunate to work with some of the you know most famous people in the world now as as a spiritual guide and artist uh, to see that we're all experiencing the same kinds of things. We all suffer. We all want to be happy. Some of some problems from from you know with very famous people, their problems are a little bit more decorated than ours. But anyways, I in Florida I was like doing all this this in, internal research, and then that led me to then go to India uh, and and. And begin my my journey. So it was in, in the spring of 2014, and I spent about um, almost three years in and out of India, Nepal, Indonesia, Thailand, but mostly between India and Nepal, sitting with different masters and and uh, you know questioning my 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 questioning how I've been living and and really just was faced with a lot of with a lot of, uh, oh my God, a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I lived like this. You know, I give you a very long answer (laughs) to a short question. I appreciate it. I read somewhere that you, I don't know if this was the realization you had in India and Nepal that you didn't realize 
how bad you were making other people's lives around you Yeah, at that time. Was that something yeah. that came to you when you mm-hmm. were kind of doing that internal study? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It was when I actually realized that hurt people hurt people. It was like that free people, free people, healed people, healed people. And I, I didn't, I didn't land at that. At that point, I was constantly blaming the world and, and every circumstance around me for how I was feeling. And therefore, I then had an excuse to then make other people's lives. Uh, miserable. And and to be honest, I didn't harm anyone too bad, right? And again, it's my own bias on it. But, you know, um, I I was just very, un- I wasn't very kind and I wasn't present. I just was not present. I wasn't able to like talk to someone, look into their eyes. And I wasn't that friend that people called when they were having a breakdown. I wasn't the friend that they called if they didn't have anywhere to stay. I wasn't that friend that they called when they needed to borrow something. I wasn't that friend. I was a friend that people called when they had a fabulous party to go to. You know, because um, they knew I would, I would present myself in a really fashionable way. I would be wearing the latest fashion. I would be able to like put myself in, you know, I had the vocabulary to to be in these places. But I wasn't the friend that people would call when they were in despair. And and I realized that that's who I want to be. I want to be a beacon of light. I want to be able to walk people through the valley of shadows. I want my life to be a message of love. And I don't want to so much to be a lover, but I want to really like be love. I want to just my, my, ex, like the experience of Sat to be one that is love, you know, that is love. Um, and so all of that started to kind of land for me when I was, um, at a retreat. And first I did this and I, and I think Ram Dass said this quote that I don't want to be, I don't want to be a lover, I want to be love. I forget the exact, I'm paraphrasing uh, the quote there. But that was really illuminating for my own uh, transformation. And I was at this retreat in, in I think it was in India for a 10-day silent retreat. And we meditated on death. And the meditation on death kind of like really woke me up to like reprioritizing my life and understanding like what really matters and the kind of impact that I want to create. And it was not about how I look and the amount of money I had and how people thought about me. It was exactly how it was actually the polar opposite. It was about how I made other people feel. And I hadn't actually spent time thinking about, do I make people feel at ease? Do I, does my presence alone, when I'm not saying a single word or doing anything, does my presence alone radiate relaxation and ease? And and it wasn't the case, you know, and that was really a jarring truth. It was a very jolting, big, revelatory moment of awakening that I don't want, if I'm going to live, and if, and, and to be honest, I, I boarded that plane with suicidal ideation. You know, it was very, I was very, it was very audacious of me to board a plane to a foreign country, 20 plus hours away from my home, um, to seek truth, to seek the antidote to my, to my suffering. You must have felt held by the divine in some way. Did you have any? Oh my God, a hundred percent. Contact with that at that time that you knew this is safe for me to do? No, there was no safety. It was just this kind of like, this is what you have to do. And I was just kind of listening to it. And and it was just this kind of like feeling grounded in this un, in this groundlessness way. And I can't explain in the, it's kind of this ineffable truth mm-hmm. that we don't have words for. Mm-hmm. It's just a deep knowing 
It's bigger than a thought. It's bigger than a feeling. It's just a full body knowing that's like, that's what I need to do, you know? So I went and it was through the meditation on death that I had this revelation. And then um, during that time, I also recognized that we're basically good. My teachers, one of the gurus there spoke about us having this basic goodness and how so much of our suffering is because we we don't know that we're basically good. You know, that all my self-destructive behaviors were actually my own unskillful um, uh, choice, unskillful, and I have to say this again, unskillful and and um, and destructive ways of potentially course correcting me to being good. You know, every mm-hmm. time I would, every time I would smoke a cigarette or drink into blackout, or I would overeat, or I would, you know, just do all kinds of destructive things that I know are self destructive to me. There were my ways of punishing myself. And I thought that by punishing myself, I'll actually become a good person, you know? Does that make sense? Mm, It does make sense. Yeah. So through that process of actualizing my basic goodness, of touching base with my basic goodness, I woke up out of this like self-destructive spiral that people don't need to be punished to be to be corrected into being good. Punishment does not lead to goodness. Punishment leads to pain. Period. You know, and that was a big, big, jarring, illuminating truth that I was like, oh my God, what, how are we, the whole world runs on this punitive perspective that when someone causes pain, they have to be punished and it's through punishment that they become good. And, but you realize that the mystics have been preaching something totally different, Mm -hmm. that it is through restoration. It is through love, through kindness, through patience that someone could be restored and they themselves can touch base with their goodness. So all that happened. And then during a 30-day meditation retreat in Nepal, that's when I really broke and I realized, like, wow, I have a lot of self-forgiveness work to do. And I have a lot of forgiving of how other people have treated me. And I have a lot of, of, of asking for forgiveness of those that, that I have caused pain. Um, that was big. That was really big and really disorienting to actually take tremendous responsibility of our of your life, you know? And I think those who don't talk about their mistakes, neglect that they make mistakes, um, are people who are who grew up in homes that vulnerability and authenticity was seen as insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so mistakes are seen as, you know, speaking about a mistake is seen as as an attribute of someone who's insane. Um, and and I sort of grew up like that too. It's like, no one needs to know that you made mistakes. Don't say this, neglect that, N- avoid ever speaking about it. You know, run the other way. Vulnerability is equals to insanity. But through that retreat, I woke up and I realized like, oh my God, I've been colonized and indoctrinated into a complete flawed view of life and myself. And, and you know, oftentimes I... I realize that the work that we're doing and the conversation that you and I are having right now, it's very much about teaching people how to swim up against the stream. Yes. And and it's and it's 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 very challenging. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging and and it's an ongoing grief process, you know. Mm. And this is what I loved about your share is you know, we embark on this self-work and we picture ourselves in India on the side of the hill, you know. It's all beautiful and pristine when in actual fact it's hard and it hurts and it's dark and you get to that point where you realize there's no way out but through and through is very difficult Um, and I think a lot of people give up, you know, 
halfway through and they go back to, you know, that seduction of mm-hmm. capitalism and all these yeah. things. And so I value the fact that you've told us how hard it was to get here um, mm-hmm. because people need to be ready like the road to enlightenment is bumpy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always joyful. Um, I want to talk about your signature style of spirituality. Oh. <laughs> um, it's sassy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting because in many ways it, it really asks us to drop our ego and to come down to that essence level of like forget that people are watching and forget what people think. Talk to us about how you arrived into this sort of um, authentic expression of your spirituality because it's so refreshing in a world that I don't know whether it's the way we've westernized spirituality and that we have to be these perfect vessels of, mm-hmm. you know. That's right. You nailed yeah. it right there. Exactly that. That is the culprit of so much of, of the spiritual seekers suffering. It's this idea that we have to be a certain way to be spiritual, that we have to eat a certain way, we have to speak a certain way, we have to act in a certain way, and don't laugh too loud, don't dance too too sexy, don't put those clothes on, don't you wear nail polish, don't you tattoo this on your body, you know what I mean? Um and please never, ever worry about, you know, looking fashionable when you are living in a monastery, because that is, that is, you know, that is why you're suffering. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, there is truth to everything, but the spiritually sassy path is a paradoxical path. Uh, it's a path of, of, um, of liberation that, that I had to sort of carve out of despair because, you know, a lot of the times people are sort of interested on the on the methodology and, and the, 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 the the philosophy that's come out of the pain. And that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can share that. Um, but there is the journey to actually creating a philosophy because you're desperate. Creating an equation of liberation because you're desperate. Because I'm actually think, feeling like I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Because it is quite... Um, it was an extremely difficult time in my life where I would go to get these empowerments. These empowerments, the best way to talk about it, these, these um, empowerments is like receiving a blessing from an enlightened master, right? It's like receiving a, it's it's like getting a, um, and yeah, it's like receiving a blessing from an enlightened master. I hope that lands for the, the listener. It's, it's, you have the opportunity to sit with these enlightened masters and they give you this oral transmission and you receive it and you, you, you actualize it by practicing it. Um, but so many times during these, these uh, uh, opportunities to receive these blessings, sit with these masters and get these oral transmissions from these gurus, I face so much um, um, just, you know, psychological, psychological and, and, and verbal and nonverbal um, uh, oppression, you know, from so many different people that were like, outwardly, you know, trying to humiliate me um, because of how I express myself and because of how I show up. The inner experience of freedom will feel the same. The gnosis of freedom in our hearts will be the same, but the expression of it will be very different for everybody. So I'm on my way 
I'm on my way. I'm getting free. I'm getting free. But it looks different. It looks flamboyant. It looks queer. It looks loud. It looks bold, you know, because that's where joy lives, you know? And and I think a lot of people have stripped away joy from the equation because they had been colonized and indoctrinated and conditioned to perceive a spiritual seeker and oh, and 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 oh my goodness, a spiritual teacher should never look like that or speak like that. Spiritual guide should never. Oh my God, no way. Um, so the spiritually sassy way is 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 an audacious choice to live as a modern day saint. You know, it's a it, and it's not that I am a saint, but everything that I teach and everything that I do um, is to to sanctify. And to bring the holy back into our lives is to make sure that God is always in the room. Um, it's to make sure that we're always in this dance with the unseen world, and and we're living very poetic lives where 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 we're being artful about our pain, and we're being poetic about our traumas. You know, and and it is leading the way with joy. And joy is not a joy of of a smile of neglect. Is joy that I speak about is a is a the texture the texture of resilience. It's mm-hmm. picking yourself back up again and again and again and again, and being able to smile the moment after, you know, and being able to to laugh and cry at the same time. So spiritually sassy is a big f you to all the people who who equate the zombie zen to spiritual liberation. I say f zombie zen and more spiritually sassiness because that is the path of an embodied practitioner of someone who hasn't who isn't interested in 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 intellectualizing liberation but someone who's truly embodied who actualizes it at the heart level who lives and breathes liberation and that will have a very unique creative expression in the world you know those who are liberated they have a light about their eyes they have a mm. smile and it's not about the quality of their teeth and the the whiteness of their teeth it's not about that it's just like the way they smile it it like literally there is a, a there is a brightness that is beyond physical form you know what i mean their yeah. presence communicates creativity the way that they walk and talk and and eat and drink tea there is there is poetry to it you know it's we all been around these people we all know these people in our lives you know so mm-hmm. spiritually sassy is a very audacious choice um to become liberated um through your own unique means you know mm. Does that i make sense? it makes complete sense and i wanted to share with you <laughs> this i guess thinking on fundamentalism within spirituality because you know i'm a vedic meditator and i study the vedas mm-hmm. and i don't know whether this is you know probably my mistaken intellect but Sometimes I get frustrated at, you know, we have to eat an Ayurvedic diet and we shouldn't cut our hair and and all these things. And it's like, again, with the rules and that if I'm mm-hmm. not following them, then somehow I'm not living as an example of this knowledge. It's a lot of pressure Sattic that life. we, yeah. you know, exactly. And I think it's interesting because we oftentimes have these really successful careers and there's that point where we then turn towards spirituality and self-reflection. 
but then we apply that same pressure we put on ourselves to perform professionally, to perform spiritually, and the whole thing just feels so fucking overwhelming. And then it's like on social media, like, well, I can't do that because I'm a meditator and I can't say that because, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and we build ourselves these brick walls once again. Um, And this is what I love so much about what you give to us and following you is you give us permission to sort of exhale and just be like, fuck it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just going to be in my body and feel the way I feel today. So I really... um, well, yeah, I thank you on behalf of I'm sure many people for what you, the permission slip you give to us. Um, thank you. Can we talk about your book before we move on to conscious success? Yes, yes. Um, Who did you write it spiritually for? Spiritually sassy. Yeah, um, the book is actually um, officially as of today um, translated into German, which is really exciting. Ooh, yeah, so German community. Hey, yeah. Um, so spiritually sassy, uh, eight radical steps to activate your innate superpowers. The book was, I wrote the book. I went back to all the places that I've had these, uh, these, uh, moments of awakening. So I went back to India, went back to Nepal, went back to Bali. Um, I was afraid of going back to Bali because although I was, I was getting, I was having enormous, um, aha moments and deep moments of liberation when I was in Bali. The first few times I went, I was still not sober, you know, and, but when I went back to write the book, I had already been sober for um, three years. Yeah. Two and a half, two, three years at this point. And I was kind of afraid because I, a lot of the people that I was connected to there were very much interested in, in, in getting free, but getting high at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't like, let's get free, but also let's get high, you know? So I was kind of like, oh shit, I'm going back. But it was it was so powerful to go back and experience the ecstatic dance and the community with that, with that um, knowing that that old version of me had died, that I'm no longer that person who requires to get high to experience freedom, but I can experience freedom. And that leads me to, to these, you know, higher states of consciousness, to these higher moments of awakening. You know what I mean? Um, so the book is a, I, I walk people through all these steps to get them to um, bring something of value into the world. So essentially the book is about liberation and contribution. And I mm. speak to, the, the depth of your liberation equates the depth of your contribution. So the more liberated you are, the more you're contributing to the world. And it's not that black and white. Again, everything I teach and the way we're going about the spiritual path, we understand the paradox is, is the default of life, you know? And the more paradoxical um, we are in our understanding, and that in itself is a paradox to even say it out loud. Can you understand paradox? They're not meant to be understood. They're meant to be experienced, right? And kind of lived and kind of like danced with. So spiritually sassy is about getting people to forgive and to, and to look at their mind and to look at their shadow and to look at all the things that are the culprit to their suffering, 
and make friends with them. You know, it's about, it's about, um, making friends with the parts of you that are aching and in pain. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, an, an audacious choice to stop demonizing the demons because a demon, um, isn't, isn't, a, isn't a, a, an inherently bad aspect of you. It's a misinterpretation of truth. It's a misinterpretation of a need for love. And that's hard, right? That's hard because that's very paradoxical. We've learned to say, these feelings are bad. These experiences are bad. If you're experiencing these things, you're, you're feeling bad. Therefore, you might say bad things. You may do bad things, you know? So the book gets you to, to really look at your mind and actually activate the solar awareness of your heart and, and walk into the shadowy, dark aspects of your mind and, and look at all of your habits, you know, psychological habits, um, physical habits, all of the habits that are kind of like, you know, keeping you looping in, in pain and in misery. Um, and then through that journey, we're going to talk about curiosity and about passion and purpose and your gift, your unique gift back into the world, which will look different for everybody. And um, I so often have so many people wanting to do the, wanting to be a, a spiritual guide, a healing artist, a meditation teacher. And I'm kind of telling people all the time, my love, what you're wanting is not what I'm doing. What you're wanting is the freedom in which I do what I do, you mm. know? So, so kind of like rail it back, like do your freedom in jewelry, do your freedom, express your freedom in, in food, express your freedom in hair, express your freedom in painting, express your freedom in acting. We don't necessarily need you to become a spiritual guide or a healing artist or a meditation teacher or a yoga teacher. We need you to focus on becoming free, liberating yourself from the shackles of the past, stop worrying about the future, have such a deep, intimate connection to the present moment, so much so that that the silence that will arise in your being will speak to you. The silence will speak to you. Some may say God is in the room. You know, the, the cosmic mother is in the room. Some may say Krishna is in the room. Some may say Shakti or, or, or Kali, whatever language works for you. Buddha is in the room. But it's really about making peace with the past, not worrying so much about the future, having a deep, intimate connection to the breath in such a way that you're able to hear the whispers of your heart. And that's when you're going to know, you know, how to share your gift. And, and for everyone listening, stop copying and pasting people's dreams and aspirations and personalities yes. as your own, you know? Because it's going to so, feel like yeah. a dress that's that's not your size. And you may be able to wear for a little while, mm -hmm. but then it's going to be like tight and you're not going to be able to breathe properly. You know, so it's just about like looking at the quality that a person activates in you. It's not so much about what they're doing. You know, it's about mm -hmm. the quality of the activation or the felt sense that they give you. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. This... um. You know, I work as a conscious career and business coach and my sort of methodology to what I call true self-success is exactly, you know, what we know and what you're talking about. It's our individual energy, our unique gifts, plus the need of the time as you see it equals success. Mm. And so through that lens, it has nothing really to do with us in the end. <laughs> That's right. You know, and so getting <laughs> yeah. past that. So let's talk about our gifts because I yeah. think this is one of the things that a lot of us have struggled with is mm -hmm. how do we make contact with what we're uniquely positioned mm -hmm. um, and equipped to do? Like 
Mm-hmm. How do we curiosity? How do we grab those yeah. Yeah. Look at your curiosities. What are the things that you're curious about? And you make a list of everything that you're curious. I and mean, oftentimes when I'm leading retreating person or, or workshops online or something like that, I often ask people, write down five things you're curious about. And, and some people freeze. They have no idea what they're curious about because they've been so sort of in this, in this, you know, following other people. If they're curious about that, then I'm curious about that too. But the curiosity I'm asking about is, is something that you're going to have to just kind of put on some music, drink some tea and, and just kind of like think about all the things that you're curious about. And you may actually start to be curious about your wounds, about your pain, about your suffering, about your misery, about your despair. And that was what it was for me. I ended up being curious about addiction, about mental illness, about spiritual liberation, all things that I that we all innately are, 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 are born curious. We're all born curious about spiritual liberation. You know, we're all born curious about genuine happiness, but the way of getting to it, that's when, that's when you and I come in, you know, to sort of reorient people in a direction. Um, but to activate your gift, it's the, the, the first thing is the things you're curious about. And when you're, when you're researching the things you're curious about, do you experience the flow state, you know? When you're researching about mental health, mental illness, depression, anxiety, spiritual liberation, Buddhism, psychology, evolutionary, you know, um, whatever may be, whatever may be, whatever I'm telling you the things I'm curious about. As you're researching these things, is there a state of flow where you actually lose track of time? Where like mm-hmm. your where you become the action, where the observer and and the thing that's being observed kind of merge. We call that yoga, right? That's the true meaning of yoga mm-hmm. um, union, uh, this samadhi consciousness, right? And so when you when you tap into those things, then you know that that is your your unique path to freedom, right? Because you already have that blueprint. Now 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 your your inner world is saying, honey. If you're tapping to the state of flow, which is, you know, um, scientifically proven to be like the best uh, uh, feel-good cocktail that we can cook up for ourselves without drugs or alcohol is when we enter the flow state. Mm -hmm. So if the things you're curious about when you're researching them, do they catalyst, are they the catalyst to a state of flow, right? Where you're not hungry, you're not tired, time stops, um, you really become one with your action. And then the next stage is, are the things that you're curious about, they're bringing to the flow, um, do they leave you with a, a sense of contentment? Do they leave you with a psychological residue that is relaxed and content and, and kind of like an, an openness and, and sort of this big wide view where you're just kind of like, you're at ease, Right, because oftentimes the things that we do leave a psychological residue that isn't spacious and relaxed and and, and content. They kind of leave us with thirst and emotional hunger and desperation and more needs and more wants and more 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 accumulation more. So you, you and then you go to the next stage is does the things you're curious about do they activate the flow? Do they leave you with a psychological residue? And I know the word residue has like a negative connotation, but stick with me here. Residue in, in, a, in a positive way. Um, does, it, does it leave you feeling content and joyful? And then does it help other people? You know? And that's kind of like my equation that I speak about in the book. 
You know, does it help other people? Are the things that you, that that you awaken and activate joy, you know, that they help you activate your joy? Do they help other people? And when they do, you found the equation of sustainably happy life. You found what you're here to do. You found what some will call your dharmic path, your soul's purpose. You know, that's my equation. That's what's helped me. And oftentimes. For people who are who are meant to be uh, healers and lovers and storytellers, oftentimes you're gonna end up being curious about psychology, um, um, you know, uh, spirituality, mysticism, pain, suffering, darkness. You know, you're gonna be interested in in these very shadowy aspects of the psyche because you're going to be. It's gonna become your job to help people with the things that you have helped yourself. And I've just kind of been like, okay, fine. If like my, me undergoing all the pain and suffering and traumatic experience that I've gone through is actually, um, uh, you know, the reason why I'm experiencing these things because these are the things that I'm here to teach, you know? Mm, and it's not that now I create the conditions and the cause for me to experience pain. No, I don't, it's, I'm not seeking it. Uh, but it's, I do have this kind of like extreme kind of life where like, at a young age, I'm like, you know, doing drugs at 14, hard, heavy, hard drugs and starting this magazine and going to eat and da, da, da. It's, everything's kind of radical. Um, mm. And because of this ex- extremeness texture to it, then there's extreme happiness and extreme suffering that comes with it, you know? And how do I handle the extreme happiness and the extreme suffering? That will dictate the depth of the baseline of joy, you know? Mm. And the... Um, however big the thing we're moving through, it's the same opportunity in terms of size of increase of consciousness. Mm. And I always try and remember that when I'm in the really, really say that again a few times because that is so. so, I I can't. You'll articulate when we hear better than me. Okay, so I actually went and consulted one of my teachers, Matt Ringrose, on this one as not to absolutely butcher the knowledge. So he always says that the opportunity to expand our consciousness is in direct proportion to the size of the challenge. So that's what I was trying to say. I want to remind people that the natural law of karma is also known as the natural law of justice, which mm-hmm. also goes along perfectly with, with what you said. You know, so you're speaking mystical philosophy right now. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And 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 so thank you for that. And and when you think up through the natural law of justice, aka karma, we're only fed the amount that we can eat. I know when we're going through trauma and and tribulations and and all the the challenging things, the drama of life, we think it's too much for me. I can't handle it, mm. you know. Um, but the natural law of karma is 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 a is a is a is a just is is the natural law of justice because you're only being fed the amount that you can eat. Mm. Um, so. That's also very reassuring and very relaxing, right? And then remember, when you are going through things and they feel like they're bigger than you, then that's when you actually have to pray 
you know, actually sit down on your meditation cushion, go through your meditation practice and pray. Say, dear Cosmic Mother, dear Black Madonna, dear Krishna, dear Jesus, dear Buddha, dear whoever it is in your wisdom council, dear wisdom council, show me the way, show me how it gets better. Show me how it gets better. I feel like this pain is too big. I can't handle it. So show me how I can, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're going to open up to a mindset of miracles where miracles are not necessarily that you're going to walk through walls or manifest money in your account. That's more like uh, illusory, more like in a magic sense. Miracles are more about this radical perspective change where the pain no longer seems big because your perspective has gotten so wide. That's a miracle. You know, um, and 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 all of a sudden, you you pray, you pray that prayer, and you seduce the gods back into your life. You let them know that you are a vessel and an instrument of peace, and and that your life is a message of peace. They're there for you. Gods leave the room. The unseen world, the celestial beings, leave the room the moment that you become selfish. Mm. They're back in the room the moment that you become altruistic. Let me, show me how I can heal this pain so I can help people. Show me what I can learn. Show me how I can learn from this trauma so I can help people. Add this altruistic motivation to your prayer. And then you're going to see a miracle take place, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. It's put me to work. That's it, isn't it? (laughs) Asking them, put me to work. Um, I want to talk a bit about building a conscious business, a spiritual business and your individual journey within that. Because I know Mm -hmm. so many people listening are interested in starting something that means something, much to what you've been speaking about. Talk to us about um, how you figured out, okay, so you've gotten in contact with your gifts and you understand that you're here to serve. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you start to think about commercializing service? Because oh my God. It, get, it can get <laughs> icky, you know, really quickly. Because I think fundamentally what we know through studying the knowledge we do is that this should be free, freely yeah. available, accessible to all. But at the same time, we have to sustain ourselves as teachers, thrive in the world, That's be right. able to reinvest yeah. in our business and grow our businesses. So. Talk to us yeah. about that, um, the quality of that energy, because it's it's dense at times. I feel. Yeah, so it's like the the, the commercializing the spiritual work. Is that the question? How do you do I think it? That's the question. It's, it's like you understand uh, that you're here to serve, but you've also need to earn a living. So how do we join yeah. those things together in a really conscious way? Beautiful. And the first thing I want to tell everyone is like, w- work with this mantra. The more money I make, the more people I can help. Yes. The more money I make, the more people I can help. The more money I make, the more people I can help. The more money I make, the more people I can help. And I will help. If you work with that mantra, then then it's not about accumulation of money. And it's not about having a charity. And it's not about having a philanthropic project. It's really about an allocation of resources. It's a, it's a, it's an ongoing distribution of resources, you know, and the distribution of resources should be part of your business model from the start. It should never be about, oh, let me just, let me launch this course so I can make this money, so I can go on this vacation, so I can do these things and be with my friends. That will lead you to a life that's unfulfilling, that you, you may actually do a lot of shiny, beautiful things, um, but it will just always have this this kind of like tug, 
this kind of inner conflict. So from the start, I, everyone listening, attach a cause to your business, like have a new bottom line attached to it, a bottom line that is allocating resources to a certain community that needs your help. I haven't been homeless. You know, I've been unhoused maybe for for a week um, in my early 20s, but I've never experienced um, homelessness to the degree of, of having nothing and be extremely in despair on the streets. But I have this 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 karmic calling to help the unhoused, you know? And so I, I'm actively, you know, allocating resources for this place here in, in, in Venice Beach, California called Safe Place for Youth. They're helping over 4,000 unhoused um, uh, uh, youth and, and half of them are part of the, the queer community. So on a, on a monthly basis, we're constantly allocating resources to them. So when you're thinking about building your business, it has to start from the beginning. People ask me, so how have you worked with these celebrities? How have you written these books? How have you done this and this and that? And I was like, it was never, I never put on my, on my mood board, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, <laughs> Cardi B. I never put these people on my mood board. I just happen to have worked with them because of my, 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 my altruistic intent. I never put Google on my mood board. I never put Ken Lyon or, or this thing or that thing. I never, that was not the thing. What I put on my mood board was Mahatma Gandhi, was Madhya Teresa, you know, it was, it was a historical Buddha, you know, it was the, the true, the true, the truth seekers that have changed culture. Like, and, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm in any shape or form at their level of awakening. No, I'm so far from, from being liberated, but I know the way and I'm, 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 I am disciplined to walk in that path. So when it comes to, to the business aspect, you know, I, I, I have to tell you when I, and this is, might be kind of like contradicting and not the kind of things that we want to hear in a podcast, but when I shaved my head and I had maybe like 6,000 comments on that post and God knows how many likes and God knows how many views on that thing. But I just remember this, the amount of, of comments and they were very biblical comments. They're so long because I was very blunt about the fact that my entire team, my agent, my manager, everyone in my team was like, don't shave your hair. Don't shave your head. Your hair is part of your brand. Mm. And I, I shaved my head as a ritual. And I posted that without telling anyone. And they were all angry, calling me later to be like, how dare you call me, not tell me about it. I think I need to drop you. And then of course it didn't happen because we created a whole movement out of shaving your head. You know, we created a whole little stir in one little corner of the internet. But the reason I'm saying is like, I, my goal was never to be a brand and a business and do the things in this way. My goal has always been, I want to be an experience. I want my eulogy to read um, generosity, to read kindness, to read relaxation, to read belonging. I want my eulogy to be one that I made people feel like they are deserving of, of cosmic love. I made people feel, I made them laugh, laugh so loud that their jaws hurt. I made them, you know, invited them to dance in a way that their, that their feet had blisters, but they were ecstatic. It's really about like the impact that you want to create. And to be honest, as a business owner, um, 
it's been really hard to be an entrepreneur. I'm not going to lie. It's been extremely hard. So many times I think about leaving everything and, and, and going to work at a coffee shop and, and just focusing <laughs> on my practice. I'm not going to lie. I've, I have that thought constantly because now I have a whole team, you know, and I have like a lot of people that rely on me you know, to pay their salary so they could live their lives. And then, so there's just like, and I don't know, I'm learning how to do all of it. You know, I'm learning how to do all of it. And and I'm learning as I go. I, I never went to business school. I didn't get trained and 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 everything just kind of happened really fast for me. Um, and because of that, I, I just have to say that like, for me, what keeps me going is knowing that I'm becoming free and that my freedom is helping other people to become free. How do we set up a business? To be honest, I have no fucking clue. I pay a lot of people to help me do it. A lot of money every month. <laughs> that's such the truth of it. And, that's and sometimes I wish gifts, I knew. Right? That's huh? part, of their, part of their dharma is to help people like you yeah. create the commercial structure and operating systems to be able That's to help right. people at scale. And so we all have our role. Yeah. Um, what I loved about you shaving your hair was for me, as somebody who considers myself to be doing the work, is you were walking the talk. By doing that, you showed me that you were an embodiment of the knowledge. Mm. Because I think it's really easy to see the brand that was being created, not because of you wanting to do it, but it just happening by way of the internet being the internet. That's right. You know, and so there, I found there to be a lot of um, you claiming your power in shaving your head. I thought, mm. wonderful. And then how exposing to the people who are supposedly there to support you to feel that that was bad for business because it's like, well, you don't really get what I'm doing then, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. If you think that this whole thing is reliant on my curly hair, then we're fucked. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and having to have that conversation, it was like, um, you know, and it was, I mean, honestly, the whole thing was just, and I'm still, I'm still, I'm still integrating what that's, that's done to me because I look at myself in the mirror every day and I actually, most days I can like smile at my reflection in the mirror, but some days I'm like, who are you? You know, who are you? Like you lost your charm. You know, you lost your charm, like where, like, you know, so, but it's, it's just the conditioning and how many right. people are sort of praising the hair and loving the hair and, and hanging on to the hair and how many brand partnerships I had with massive brands that were rooted on the hair. And then I had to like publish a hair thing, like a few days after I had shaved my hair. And then I was just kind of like, Shit. oh my God, wait for the no, backlash no. of the internet yeah. saying, Bitch, you don't have hair like this anymore. Why are you promoting curly products, you know? But thank God, everyone. I haven't had a problem with people uh, like that, you know. So so thank you. Thank you for that reason. Oh, gosh. Um, I think the other thing I want to talk to you about before we go is, um, and you've spoken a bit about it, but this idea that we need to learn to tolerate uncertainty as founders how do mm-hmm. you get comfortable with, I guess, not knowing what you're going to earn month to month, not knowing if you will earn some months? I don't know where you're at kind of financially now, but certainly for me, there's seasons of creativity and there's seasons of mm-hmm. the financial gain that come from that creativity. And then there's seasons of nothing where I go and rest and, you know, 
to have more of that internal experience. You go and rest. Good for you, honey, because I go into a spiral. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I have been so fortunate. Thank the Cosmic Mother. Thank you, everyone in the unseen world. And thank you, everyone in this reality that you and I are connecting on that I've been very fortunate to be able to buy, to to make ends meet and not only for myself, but enough that I can support my mom. I just sent her into a three-week um, healing journey uh, uh, in this retreat that's like very, very expensive. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can help her in that way, my family and, and, you know, everyone that works for me, I'm able to like, thankfully I'm able to do it. But there is an ongoing um, fear <clears throat> in the background, you know, and and I just kind of like learned to dance with that fear and not demonize that fear. And and I've learned how to, when I am spiraling, creating from a spiral, you know, trying to create a piece of content from a from a place that I'm in a spiral, trying to teach a class, trying to do something as the as the as the next action from a spiraling place is always, will never lead to abundance, will always lead to Mm. scarcity. Mm. So I've learned to sit down and and breathe and pray and meditate and go on a walk and call a friend. And the furthest extreme, which is the one that always leads to the most solutions, being of service, Mm. you know, actually having nothing and making sandwiches in my kitchen, actually saying, you know what? I have this money in my account and I'm going to pay everybody that works for me. And then hopefully I'll make rent, you know, hopefully I'll be able to pay all the things and, you know, all the things, hopefully everything is going to be fine. God, you know, you see me, I'm trying, honey. So help me out. (laughs) And then the next right action will be about going to, to the, to the grocery store and buying a loaf of bread and actually Buying some cheese and some, if you're vegan, you know, buy whatever you want, avocado and hummus and some spinach, whatever it may be, or ham and cheese and some mayo and some tomatoes and making sandwiches as an offering to life, as an offering of abundance and making the sandwiches in prayer and making them as, 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 a, as, an, as, an, as literally as an expression of the abundance that lives inside of you, as an expression of the generosity that is the default of life. But because in that moment of scarcity, we forget. So making the sandwich when we only have an X amount of money in our account is a way of saying, this is an illusion. I've been caught in illusory lila in this, in this theater of life, and I'm forgetting that I am I am so resourceful. I am so abundant. The miracle is my default. So actually making the sandwiches and then gathering that and then not only making them, but packaging them really well and then writing little beautiful notes in the brown paper bag and then bringing them to the park where you know that that's the park where people get dropped off when they come from the correctional facility, from prisons, whatever, or walking it over to the, to the community of unhoused people in downtown in your city. You know, that will that will that guarantees you across every mystical tradition to break you open in a way that you're gonna be like, holy fucking shit! Can we curse? I curse. I heard you cursing too, so yeah. I'm gonna curse. I always yeah. curse, but I never know. I've been called out teaching at some corporate places. They're like, "Sam, please don't curse," and I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> um, no, we curse. But anyways, <laughs> I um, it's it's actually. That service piece, this altruistic service where you're going into that these places and you're not seeking 
not even a thank you, not even an, an, an acknowledgement that you're there, but just dropping off a bottle of water and a sandwich to a, to a group of unhoused people. Or, or, you know, there's so many ways that we can do, there's so many things that we could do, but the service piece will, will crack you open to recognize your, your resourcefulness that is the true fabric of our mind, you know? Mm. Um, so that's what's helped me, you know? But it, it's it's an ongoing thing that... You know, some months it's wild and some months it's just like, okay, cool. So we're in the season now. And not every season is a season of, of harvest. Look at nature, you know. Yes. Season of, of harvest is not every season. Mm-hmm. Unless you're genetically modified. <laughs> 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 then you're growing out season all year round. But we're not. We are organic creatures. We're, we're natural beings. So we work with the seasons. So think about it like that too. Mm, that's so important. I'm so glad you raised that because we are not built to be creating 24 um, seven. And, you know, part of one of the things you offer in your book is a 10 day silent retreat. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I don't know about you, but my most evolutionary ideas have come from silence. And so right. if we want to do that big work, then we need to get really fucking quiet for longer than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That yeah. might be <clears throat> if you're privileged mm-hmm. enough a week or a month or, you know, and knowing that so many of us are still working other jobs in order That's to right. be doing this work that we feel is more dharmic. Um, I have two more questions for you before you go. Mm-hmm. How have you learned? So first of all, I'm thankful for you to say yes to this podcast because I know you get a lot of offers, a lot of demands on your time as your profile gets bigger how have you learned to say no and how do you do it? Oh my God. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, <laughs> it's so hard for me to say no because of my uh, scarcity mindset. You know, it's so ingrained and not only working through my scarcity mindset, but then you're working through these inner inner chaotic uh, narratives, right? Like your inner scarcity, but then you're, you're living in this external reality where capitalism um, is, the, is the default. So if you're not producing, if you're not doing things and speaking constantly and sharing constantly and, and, and having something to show for constantly, you don't have value. So it's really difficult to say no um, in the world that says that that if, that saying no means means you're losing your value, right? That you're not you're not relevant anymore. Um, so it's something that I've struggled with, but I have been I've just gotten really good at being able to just like look at someone's profile, look at their email, and just uh, something tells me yes or no. You know, it's just like that inner knowing, yes or no. It's just kind of clear. It's like, yep, this is going to be a good thing, good conversation. And I, I, you know, it's funny because I have um, people that I invite on my podcast and and sometimes like a week before I have them on, I'm like, Sai, you shouldn't, that's, you don't need to do that right now. Just don't, don't do this. You don't need to have this conversation right now. And I still do it. And I'm all, and I ended up being disappointed because we didn't land at that, yes. at that, you know, delicious, juicy the thing. And then I feel bad. And then what that does is, is, is terrible because you're now mistrusting your intuition. You're now, you're now unlearning all the things that you've learned, which is to trust that, that intuitive part of you. So, you know, um, when it comes to saying no, I'm learning how to say no every day a little bit better. 
I am um, knowing that a no and something new can feel the same, you know. So because of that, I, um, I, I understand like psychologically and physiologically that the chemistry and the, and the texture of a no, saying no, um, can feel <laughs> scary because it's a new experience. So I'm just kind of like dancing that dance, you know. And, and and also what's been great is having someone else schedule things for me and having someone else know that like I need this amount. Um, I technically have three people who schedule things for me, which is a little bit wild to think this, that there's this amount of people who are constantly scheduling things on my calendars, but they are in touch with each other. And they all know that I'm a human being that needs to eat and needs to meditate and needs to go on their walks, that prays, that does all these. I have, a, I have so many things that I have to do on a daily basis to be able to to show up here with wisdom, mm. you know? Um, and I still do all these things and still show up like a mess, you know? The other day, I, I was just like saying all kinds of things on a podcast that I'm like, oh, fuck, because <laughs> I was so, <laughs> I was so wounded, you know, that day. But anyways, um, it, it's moment to moment, right? Moment to moment. Like if you've been a yes, if you've been saying yes, 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 try saying, try saying no a little bit. Um, but check in with your intention. Are you saying no to to harm somebody? Are you saying no to neglect someone? Are you saying no um, as, a, as a form of self-preservation with integrity? Like just check in because it's not only no about work. The no that you're speaking to me, it, it's a no that kind of is pervasive into every area of my life. It's a no to this food. It's a no to this behavior. It's a no to that thing. It's a no to this kinds of conversations. It's it's a no in every aspect of your life. Um, so when it comes to business, God help you. <laughs> I know. This I hope, isn't it? You know, because it's really, um, it's a very interesting thing to be able to um, run a, a spiritual business well, you know, and 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 everyone who's listening. All I have to ask of all of everyone who is doing this work, it's like really check in if you want to be a healer and work in this space for the reason that you truly have been in touch with the pulse of the suffering of the world. And if your intentions are in complete alignment, then do it. You know, because if you're not, then I'm sorry, you're not, you're, you're just going to accumulate unwholesome karma for yourself. And we don't want that because your karma interferes with mine. So we just have to like educate each other in a way that like, and do the work, right? If you're going to talk about the human mind, sit with your own mind for a long period of time before you put in your Instagram bio that you are this person, you know? And I only say this because it's, I have so many people who I'm constantly giving them a blessing to start their career and I'm writing these letters and I'm, you know, just, yes. But these are people who I have actually like walked them through the valley of shadows. Mm. I didn't necessarily walk them, but I, I, I guide, I, I educated them on how they could walk themselves to the Valley of Shadows. And that requires a very audacious person, you know? And for you to work in, in, in this field, just like sit with your mind and like mm -hmm. sit with your mind, sit with your suffering, you know, re realize the grief that we're constantly experiencing. Study, practice, 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 you know? When you think you have it, then practice a little bit more. 
and then just kind of start the process, you know, work with one person. I didn't, I didn't overnight do any of these things. It was like, I worked as a, as a, as a coach, as a well-being coach for about two years. I was seeing five people a day, five days a week. I became a machine, you know, I became really good at it. And I loved cracking the cold for people, cracking, cracking, crack was amazing. And then at some point, I realized that I was working with a very small demographic of society who can afford this fee. And then that's when I launched the Spiritually Sassy School. And that's when I launched the podcast and all the other all the, all the other parts because I wanted to offer what, what happens in session to so many other people for, for like $2 a day, you know, instead of the, these high fees that we charge um, for one-on-one work. So just like practice your craft, you know, practice your craft. Don't just read a book and put put it up in your bio that you are this person because you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing a disservice to those who are coming to work with you. And I say this with love. I say this as like, you know, your, your, your loving gay aunt, you know, yeah. like with a big smile on her face. Like I say this with genuine love, but don't do it because it, the only reason why I have a certain level of success that I have right now and the kind of attention that I have, it's because I'm not regurgitating the spiritual wisdom that I've read or have learned. It's because I've mm-hmm. sat with it and I've actually like really internalized in my own unique way. So when you hear my voice, you're hearing something that's kind of refreshing. It's kind of, it's not entirely refreshing, but it's just kind of new. It's kind of fresh. It's, it's like same, same, but different. That is the difference. Now, what you see so often in a space is people are just regurgitating each other's words. They're just regurgitating a book that they read and a master that they follow. And it's just like, we know the texture of authenticity. We know, we just know, we know. It's not something that you have to train yourself in. You know, authenticity is the default of our mind. So we seek those who are authentic. It's like, a, a, a you know, the, those bugs that go after the light. We are that. We're going after the light because we are that. We have this inner light and we're looking for other people who have that light, who have their light brighter. Their brightness is 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 the is that byproduct of of practice, of annoying, diligent, effortless effort effort, effortful. you know, diligent effort, effortless, effortful, effortful. That's a word, right? Yeah. And then people tell me, oh my God, you're so effortless. I have to tell them it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot of effort that's gone into being effortless. Mm -hmm. So I hope that's helpful. And, and, and thank you for, for staying with me with this entire long fucking answer. (laughs) I just was living for it. I was like, this is exactly what it's about. And if we're thinking first about our Instagram bio, we're missing the point, you know? Um, Yeah. I have a final question for you and you're the first person in over 90 guests I've asked this question to. So I used to ask when you're Mm. sitting in your true self, who are you? Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to ask, what does true self success look and sound like to you in your life? What does true self success sound and look like in your life? Well, I think we've touched on it earlier today. It's like, it's, it's a life of service. It's a genuinely, it's a genuine understanding that the self implies the other, that genuine happiness comes 
from helping others. And when you master helping others while helping yourself, that is um, that is the, the kind of answer to, to the question. So, yeah, I think that's it. Does that answer? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Thank okay, you. <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, um, I want to thank you so sincerely for your time today, but also the work that you give us and the knowledge that you share and the way you share it. And just to go back to what I said earlier, the permission slip, you're a big permission slip in my life and I know so many other people as well. So thank you very much. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you so much, my sweet love. It's been truly a joy. Thank you for these beautiful questions and holding this beautiful sacred space for us to talk about these um, really important things. And, And to everyone listening, Please don't let the term toxic positivity permeate your mind. That is a flawed, like it's just a misinterpretation of, of, of audacity. It's a misinterpretation of courage. Be enthusiastic about life. Be, you know, activate like positive thinking. And it's not to overshadow the shadow aspects, but be enthusiastic about transformation. Be enthusiastic about your life. Be courageous about your life, you know? These are the qualities of someone who's truly becoming liberated, you know? Courage and enthusiasm are the qualities of someone who's becoming liberated. So thank you so much for everyone listening. Lots of love. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about my personal and professional development opportunities. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them. 